It's Tuesday, April 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, our man in Colorado, Tim Byers. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Chris. We've got two stocks that are hitting all-time highs off of their latest earnings reports, but we're going to start with Tesla. First quarter results for Tesla, I like to think of them as a buffet, Tim, because there was something for everyone. If you're a bull, you're pointing to the record quarterly profit and the rising deliveries. If you're a Tesla bear, you're pointing to the increased competition and market share eroding. There's always a lot to get to when we're talking about Tesla. What stood out to you in terms of the quarter itself? So, let's let's first give Tesla credit here. The, the automotive uh, revenue was up uh, 75%. Um, that's amazing, you know, to $9 billion. So, cracking the $9 billion mark. Uh, which you know that's up year over year for 5.1 billion. That that's an amazing number, and we want to give them some credit on that. Also, the gross margin was up 95 basis points. That's nice. And and I'll say what's interesting about this, and we heard Musk say this during the quarter, that this has been one of the most challenging supply chain environments for Tesla. Period. Period. And, and that makes some sense, right? We know because of the pandemic, there were some interruptions, particularly in the supply chain for semiconductors, for, for a lot of chip makers. And let's be clear, you know, a Tesla is a, you know, a computer on wheels. It does have a lot of chips. It does suffer from this worldwide semiconductor shortage. Uh, and the fact that Tesla was able to grow as much as it was, get the benefits that it got, um, you know, in the midst of this supply chain shortage on the gross margin line, I think that's really impressive, uh, Chris. So, starting from the get-go, I do think um, Tesla deserves a lot of credit for its automotive business. And yet, um, you know, looking at the the stock this morning, I think. The market's just kind of giving Tesla a big fat shrug emoji. <laughs> so, I'm glad you mentioned the automotive revenue because a lot of the headlines are about, or not about, but a lot of the headlines regarding Tesla include the Bitcoin investment and sort yes. of the you know the the revenue from that. And as you said, I mean, give them credit for the automotive revenue. I mean, that's that's their bread and butter. Um, I think, however. You're right. The the stock's down. It's not plunging. It's down four no. percent. And when you consider the the rise it's had over the past year, that's you know that's a, a drop in the bucket. Uh, but it, I think it speaks to a number of things, um, including the uh, the overall environment in terms of competition. I mean, yeah. it, it it is one of those things where you know I I'm going to use an analogy here. And just you know, don't, everybody just relax. Just, <laughs> just let me get through this. Uh oh. <laughs> but I th- But when I was, I was, you know, reading the coverage this morning and watching CNBC, one of the things that came to mind in thinking about all of the other automotive companies in the world who are now sort of pouring resources into the EV market. Right. One thought I had was Whole Foods. Mm. I thought about Whole Foods being this revolutionary grocery store focused on organics um, and leading the way and essentially creating this massive category. And right. for a long time, when Whole Foods was a standalone public company, if you were a shareholder of that business, 
you were rewarded in a big way. Right. And then over time, even businesses the likes of which include Walmart got into the organic space. Yep. And there was a stretch of time before it was acquired by Amazon that Whole Foods struggled as a, as a standalone business, or I should say the stock. Yeah. You were not handsomely rewarded for being a, a shareholder of Whole Foods the last few years it was a public company. Yep. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. Uh, Tesla is too big a company to be acquired in the same way that Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon. But it does make me wonder, what does the landscape look like three years from now? in terms of market share for Tesla. Doesn't mean they can't continue to be highly profitable at what they do, but I think it's telling that a, a lot of people are interested in electric vehicles and their starting point is not Tesla, it is some other automaker. Yeah, doesn't it make you wonder about, or at least give you not some pause, but maybe some curiosity about 2030? Like, doesn't it make you think about 2030? Because, and, and here's why I say this, it's 2021, right? So that's nine years away, but that is largely regarded as the year when big companies like General Motors and Ford, Volkswagen is already proceeding well down this path. They are very far down the EV path already. They won't be the only ones, but the other two, the big two in, in the US here, it's largely by 2030, when they're going to have the majority of their their build will be EVs and no longer internal combustion engines. So it does make me wonder a little bit about that. Now, in the meantime, uh, Tesla stock over the past year, what is up eightfold? So, you know, this is what happens. You do get the shrug emoji from the market <laughs> when you're up eightfold over a year and then you report numbers that are very solid in some ways, and you have some things that are questionable. When you have that, and it's not all blazingly good news, that's what you get. You get the shrug emoji. First quarter profits for UPS were much higher than expected. Revenue was up, shipping volume was up, and not surprisingly, shares of UPS also up 10%, which I have to say, that's a big move that's a for a move. stock like UPS. Oh my gosh, yeah. No doubt. And, and I have to say, we were talking about this off air, Chris, and, and I deserve to eat some crow here because I had predicted that UPS and FedEx were really getting their lunch eaten, and we're going to continue to get their lunch eaten by Amazon and Amazon Logistics. Well, I like to use the dated reference from Beverly Hills Cop, I fell for the banana in the tailpipe. I mean, I just didn't predict that the opportunity would be this big. Like there would be so many packages that had to be delivered that there there's no lunch to eat. There's just everybody can gorge and we're we're all great. I mean, that's really what happened here. Just uh, some quick numbers here, Chris. So if we just look year over year in terms of of operating profits my goodness i mean this company just absolutely destroyed it revenue on in the uh in in the domestic segment alone uh up to 14 billion from 11 and a half and operating profit in that same segment up to 1.36 billion from 364 million 
that is immense. So clearly the opportunity here was really big. It's not to say that the the international segment wasn't as big. It was about a double. But really here in the U.S., UPS just feasted on the amount of e-commerce we've seen over the past year. It's, boy, what a quarter for this company. Yeah, and when we were talking earlier, one of the things I was saying was, even the companies in the retail industry over the past few months that didn't blow the doors off their quarter, they did fine, you know, maybe the stock drop, all that sort of even those companies, the silver lining in their report was digital sales up, you know, fifty percent, sixty percent, that sort of thing. So it, it is one of those things where the breadcrumbs were there for all of us to see in yep. terms of what deliveries were going to look like. Um, I, I think part of what we're seeing with the rise today is the uh, is the guidance from UPS in terms yeah. of the next couple of quarters as well. So, um, really interesting to see. I'm, I'm curious to see what, uh, what, if anything, we get from Amazon later this week when they report in terms of deliveries and logistics and, and that sort of thing. They, you know, historically keep that sort of thing close to the vest. But who knows? Maybe, maybe this and... Uh, for one reason or another, maybe Amazon gives us a little bit more insight into their logistics division. I, let, let's hope so, because and, and the thing I'd be looking for, UPS generously did give us this metric, which I think is interesting, on an unadjusted basis. Like this is not accounting for currency. The average revenue per package was up almost fourteen percent. That's a big, big number. So you are you're you're getting efficiency, you're getting margin, you're getting pricing power. That's amazing. Once you adjust for currency, it's still almost seven percent. So I would love to see how Amazon did in did in this area. My prediction had been that because so much was being delivered to homes, that that actually favored Amazon because Amazon is built to deliver efficiently. To, to you know, just your everyday residents. That's not necessarily what UPS and FedEx are great at doing. They're really great at delivering to big office buildings, and office buildings have been closed. Um, turns out, they're getting real good at at doing delivering wherever packages need to be delivered. So yeah, I'm really interested in the revenue per package if Amazon gives that to us. I don't expect they will, but boy, it would be nice. Shares of Crocs are up nearly 20% this morning, hitting an all-time high. Record revenue in the first quarter for Crocs. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year. I mean, this was just... Is is there whatever is the opposite of a silver lining? Was there anything bad that happened in this quarter for Crocs? No, man. Plastic shoes, man. Plastic (laughs) shoes are the thing. I mean, look, I, I can't see anything that went wrong here. What ends the past two quarters have been immense for this business. So uh, we were just talking about digital sales, Chris. So digital sales for Crocs exploded seventy five percent. They now make up roughly a third of all sales of Crocs. That's amazing. This is another one where the digital success story is is extraordinary. And they do, I mean, they do have a store footprint. It's not a huge store footprint. And it's not like they're doing billions of dollars in sales. It was $460 million in, in the quarter. Um, that does make them a run rate, you know, close to, you know, one and a half over, 
you know, $1.6 billion business, it's, it's pretty impressive. And they're getting close to being a $2 billion business. No, it doesn't seem like there's anything going wrong here. And I'll tell you, just the guidance on, you know, initial expectations to go from, you know, revenue growth of 20 to 25%, now upping that to 40 to 50% revenue growth um, for the full year, that's extraordinary. Clearly, Crocs is doing a lot right here because they're raising guidance they're killing it on the digital sales. They're killing it on the overall sales. People like their rubber shoes, man. They're plastic <laughs> shoes. Well, and and I'll give them a little bit more credit, which is, you know, one of the things they talked about was their wholesale business and how yep. they are cutting ties with some of their wholesale partners in North America because they feel like they want some tighter control over their product, over their brand. And that's, you know, that's one of those things that it's easy to imagine a company making that move when they're not killing it, when they're struggling right. and they're looking around like, well, you know, oh my God, we got to change some things here. When you're firing on all cylinders and you're still making the type of move where you say, you know what, what we're doing in terms of wholesale, it's good, but it's not where we want it to be. And so we got to make some changes. Right. And if, the, if they're right about this, so let's presume that management is right about this. Um, they may not be, but let's for a second presume they are. What's really great about that, if you're a Crocs investor, is it will have a nice, healthy impact on operating margins. And operating margins are already good. I mean, if we just look at the, at the latest quarter, um, they moved from 22 cents a share. So that's at the very bottom line, but you don't get that if you aren't killing it on the operating margin line. 22 cents a share up to $1.49 a share. That's amazing. They are getting a lot of benefit from the growth of, of their business. So I, I think this is a smart move because it makes them theoretically over the long term, if they do this right, and they control more of their channel, and they control more of the sale, that's going to be good for operating margins. It's going to be good for profits. It's going to be good for cash flow. It's going to be good for investors. Andrew Rees has been the CEO of Crocs for nearly four years. When he took over in the summer of 2017, the stock was around $7 a share. Yeah. And as you and I are talking, it's at 100 So, in terms of giving management the benefit of the doubt, I'm pretty sure Rees and his team have I think have we can do it. that. Yeah. yeah. I think we oh, can do that. Tim Byers, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.